uh, you may have noticed uh, there are some weird things going on here at Community. There's some lights that are out, and, uh, and you notice the video announcements didn't happen. There have been uh, some technical glitches. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's the enemy fighting or, or what's going on, but, uh, but there are technical things happening, and, and we are aware of those. And so just a heads up, we know um, that the lights are out and things look a little different than... And so thank you for your patience in all of that and, uh, and your grace and, and just knowing that sometimes when power outages happen, weird things happen. So um, God is good, and we still get to talk about him. We still get to worship Jesus, and we still got to have beautiful music, and, uh, and uh, it is Sunday, and we're worshiping together. And I get to hang out with you today. Here we are, worshiping together. My name is Doug Baker. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Reformed Church. And uh, for those of you that are uh, joining us, uh, right now, live stream, online, uh, maybe it's later in the week, but it's right now for you. Uh, we're so glad to get to worship together. We are worshiping together uh, because God is not restricted by distance or time. Um, he is bigger than all of that. And so we're, we're uh, glad to have you worshiping with us. Welcome to you. Uh, all right, so today we're going to get started. We're going to dig into God's Word. Uh, but before we begin, I want to share something with you, uh, something that like popped into my head uh, over the course of my preparation for this message. I was reminded, and I don't know why, of junior high. And uh, when I was in junior high, I remember sitting in this one particular classroom, and, and it was like an English class. It was a place where we had uh, spelling contests, and, and I was introduced for like the very first time that I remembered to poetry. Um, and so I wanted to share a poem with you today, and if you read the title of the sermon, you probably know which one I'm going to share with you. Uh, it's very famous, back from 1916 it was first published. Uh, but it is commonly thought of to be one of the greatest pieces of American poetry out there. Um, this is uh, by a guy named Robert Frost. So here you go. I'm going to share with you something from my childhood. So two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other, as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that passing there, had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves, no step had trodden black. I kept the first for another day. And yet, knowing how way leads on to way, I doubt if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. One of the things that I've always appreciated greatly from Jesus is his uh, willingness to let people choose. He deals with us very practically as people, as followers, as possible disciples, gives us a choice. When he asked the disciples to follow him, he didn't command them to, he didn't uh, make them, he didn't grab them by the arm and drag them off into this life of being Jesus followers. He gave them a choice. 
He didn't run after the rich young ruler begging to be followed when he was asked how to inherit eternal life. Jesus laid out the truth and let the young man decide. If you want what lasts and you want what matters, you have to be willing to let go of the things that don't. Choose which path you want to walk and then walk it. As I was getting ready for our time together this morning, I had a choice to make. Uh, I came across a path diverging. In front of me, as my options for preaching today, I had two chapters from the Gospel of Luke, and there's just no way that we could have done both. And so I had to make a choice. One of the passages was a well-worn path. Very valuable, beautiful story from Jesus, parable that he told, well-traveled. The other, the other a little less. In fact, less so that uh, a lot of folks avoid this passage. Um, I, in my 17 years of pastoral ministry, have never preached it before. So you're getting the first run at this, baby. <laughs> because I, I tried in my spirit to discern what God wanted me to do, and I know my mind wanted that familiar path because it's beautiful, it was wonderful, it's worth traveling. But as my, I, I was praying about it and asking the Lord what to do, he made it very clear we needed to head in the other direction. So the road less traveled it is. One of the hardest parables Jesus ever taught. Uh, ranks high on that top ten list of parables that we don't talk about very often because it takes work to unpack it. It takes work to understand it. And then when you get to the end, you might not still feel like you got it. So now you're intrigued, right? You're like, ooh, what's he going to do? <laughs> so... I think we'll take it one step at a time. We'll, we'll, we'll dig in uh, to the Gospel of Luke here. We're in, still in Luke, and uh, rather than Luke 15, um, which, interestingly, uh, the other preacher who's preaching here in our services today, uh, Pastor Chris, he did choose Luke 15. So the parable of uh, the lost coin, the parable of the missing sheep, the parable of the prodigal son, um, he's preaching that. So, like, if you're like, oh, I really, really love that one, like, you, you got the wrong service. Yeah, well, you can always come back, right? You can stick around, and uh, he'll be in this space uh, at, at uh, 1030. We find ourselves in Luke chapter 16, at the very first part of Luke 16, and this is the parable of the shrewd manager. All right. We're going to go through it a little bit by little bit and kind of unpack it as we go. Are you ready? I don't know if I am. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. All right, so Jesus begins this parable uh, by laying out some of the details. There is a master, and he has abundant, uh, great amounts of resources, so much so that he has an employee whose sole job it is to manage all of those resources, his vast holdings, and he finds out that the employee is not doing a very good job, and so he confronts him. He says, ah, we, we're going to have to take a look at the books because things aren't lining up very well, and I'm, I'm a little bit upset with you. In fact, so much so, I don't think you're going to have a job. 
Now, this isn't where things get confusing. This isn't where things are complicated. Not yet. We're not to that part yet. So, once confronted, the manager says to himself, what shall I do now? My, my master is, is taking away my job. And I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. He, he's afraid. This is, this is coming out of nowhere. Maybe it's coming out of nowhere, but he is distraught. He knows himself well enough. He knows that hard labor is not for him. Uh, we don't know why hard labor is not for him. Either he's lazy or there's some like, medical detail about him. We don't know. Um, Jesus doesn't tell us. He doesn't add that detail into, into the story here. We just know that uh, he will not engage in difficult backbreaking work. We also know that uh, he is unwilling to subject himself to the shame sitting by the roadside and putting a hand out and asking for help. Maybe he's prideful. His reputation might matter too much. And so he concocts a plan. So he called in each one of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. And then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, take your bill and make it 800. This is the, this is the point in the story where things start going off the rails. Um, now, just remember, as, as we're unpacking this, just remember what's happening here. Jesus is telling a story. This is not a true story. This isn't something that happened. There's no historical account here. Jesus is telling a parable, which means that he is in charge of all of the details. He gets to decide who are the characters, what are they going to say. He gets to tell us because he has something in mind. A parable is, is told specifically to teach a particular lesson, and Jesus has a lesson that he's trying to teach. In Jesus' parable, a manager, an employee, manipulates his master's resources to save himself. While he still has the authority, while his word represents the master's word, while he is stewarding the abundance of another person, he cooks the books to make some friends in the world. Hey, you, cut your bill in half. Hey, you, take 20% off of what you owe. Because, and, and this, this is where things like really mess with my brain, and I don't get his logic, if I give you a deal by cheating my current boss, you're going to like me, and maybe you're going to want me to work for you. <laughs> what? <laughs> if I cheat my current boss for your benefit, you'll hire me. See, now, this is what I want highlighted in Jesus' teaching. This is, as this is unpacking, this is the thing that I'm like, that's, that's the moral of the story. That's, the, that's where I would go, because that is what my brain thinks makes sense as a lesson of do not and thou shalt not, right? You know, th this is where I think Jesus needs to go, because it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. People who hire other people know that's not logical. I mean, if you're willing to cheat one person, you're willing to cheat me. If somebody gossips to me about you, 
I'm pretty sure they're gossiping about me to you, right? I'm sure they're talking behind my back and filling your ears just as much as they're trying to fill mine. It makes sense, right? That's logical. That should be the lesson. That's where I would go. If I were telling this parable, that's where I would go. But that's not where Jesus goes. He doesn't even, like, stop. He doesn't even pause on that moment. He keeps going because he's got another lesson. Now, let's, let's finish, finish the parable here. We'll start up back at verse 8. So he had these two debtors, and he's like, uh, take your bill and make it lower. Take your bill and make it lower. Uh, then you'll like me. And the master commended the dishonest manager. See, Jesus isn't even pulling any punches. This is dishonest. But the master commended him because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Notice the tone shift. Notice that Jesus has moved on from telling the parable, and now he is teaching the lesson. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy, with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this. They were sneering at Jesus, and he said to them, You're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus goes in a different direction here um, because Jesus wants to make a different point. He tells us how the master admires the shrewdness of the dishonest employee. He talks about using worldly wealth to gain friends and ultimate, ultimately eternal housing. And then he gets into stuff that we, we kind of do get, I mean, stuff that does make sense, about how we can't serve God in money, and if we're faithful with little, we can be trusted with much. And, uh, and, and, and how in the world does he get to that from a story that, that seems to suggest that someone should be admired for being dishonest? So I, I had to dig. Like, I had to dig in this passage. I had to pull out all the resources, right? I had to consult folks that are way smarter than I am. I had to pray a lot. I had to try and figure out, all right, and this one helps me a lot. When I'm digging into God's Word and, and I run into something that, that is confusing, something that, 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 that causes me to struggle with what's being said, um, the thing that often helps me more, the most, is, is when I find a a base kind of undeniable truth in God's word that can guide me in understanding that. Because God will never contradict himself. He is consistent in all things. Am I right? 
Amen. So, what is a core reality? What's a, a, a truth based on God's word that, that, that helps me navigate this complicated reality where Jesus seems to be saying something that, that, that doesn't line up with what's, what, what God says is true? And so here's where I landed. Uh, everything in life fits into one of two categories. Uh, one of two camps. There are the things that are important. Um, the things that should come first. The things that matter forever. Um, like the big rocks. You know, you know the, the old uh, sermon illustration where the, the person's got rocks and pebbles and, and, and sand and water and they've got to fill this jar and you've got to put the big rocks in first, right? And then everything else kind of fits in around it. I should have had that right up here. That would have been a great sermon illustration. So we have big rocks. There are things that are big rocks. They're the most important things. They matter forever. They should never, ever take second billing ever. And then there are the things that we have that, that are realities in life that are meant to serve and to bless and to make sure that these things happen. And these are good things. Like These are the great things, and these are good things. And these are like practical use stuff. These are like the tools that we use to gain uh, uh, or protect these eternal realities. Uh, uh, these are never supposed to end up our goal. These are never supposed to be the thing that we make the end-all be-all. Uh, these are just what we use to go in this direction. It's like what Jesus was saying to the rich young ruler. Uh, take the tools that you've been given and use them for something good. And then come and follow me. Choose the best. And the, and the young man's response was clear. He didn't want to stop making the, the, the less important things the most important in his life. And so he walked away upset. He didn't want to give up his wealth. He had, he had replaced the, the most important with the least, the, the, the lesser important. And in our, in our very difficult parable, I think this is the core of what Jesus is trying to get at. He's not advocating dishonest management. He's not saying that the ends justifies the means. He's not recommending something outside of God's will to ensure success for the future. I'll quote Andy Stanley when he was teaching on this passage. The money manager was commended for taking full advantage of his limited time and opportunity. That was his commendation. He was commended for being shrewd, which is this beautiful word in Greek, phronimos. Uh, it means to be intelligent, wise, to be prudent in practical ways. Jesus wants us to be shrewd. He tells it to us explicitly in Matthew 10. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Same word, shrewd, prudent. We're supposed to grab the chance when it comes. We're supposed to seize the day. We're supposed to carpe diem for those of you that love uh, the dead poets. Yeah, there's movie people in the house. The manager used what he had access to now for the benefit of his future. Jesus wants us to think of what we've been entrusted with in the same way. 
We're not being taught to cheat our master. We're not taught, being taught to use our resources for personal gain. This is a lesson to invest what's been entrusted to us to ensure eternity. The things of God cannot be our goal. These things can't be our goal if all we do is spend our life pursuing these. We've completely missed it. If we spend all our resources, all of our time, all of our efforts seeking to accumulate more resources and time and, and all of the tools, because these tools are here, they're given to us, we're blessed with them so they can be expended for that. Good. They're good. But they're meant to serve great. And, and we know, all know, like, real-life practical examples of this. I mean, it, it, there's, there's, we see it every day. We've all got good stuff in our lives, and I'm not debating that they're, that they're good. They are good. You know, we have resources. God blesses us with incomes. He gives us money so that we can serve someone, so that we can use it to be a blessing. Money shouldn't be an end in of itself. That doesn't mean it's bad. It's good. But it's good in how it's used. As is our, 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 our time. We have a limited amount of time in, in this life, and we need to use it to, to uh, pursue good things and energy. We've got a limited amount of energy. It doesn't seem like it when I'm standing up here, but I have a limited amount of energy. And energy is good if I'm using it properly for the great. These are the easy ones. There are other things, too. Did you know that, um, that, that, that our emotional, psychological well-being matters to God? That, that, uh, that, that to pursue things that help us create confidence are, are, are good things? And they are good because we should be confident. It's important to be confident, to have self-assurance, because it gives us the, the courage to step out and, and to succeed, to, to try new stuff sometimes. But it robs great when we get to a certain spot in our lives where we decide that we're content. You know, I, I've got my life to where I need it to be. I've got my kids to where I need them to be. I, I, I think my choices have, have gotten me to a place where life is good enough, it's better than most, and now I'm just going to hang back and, and, and ride it on autopilot. We've got good, and it's good enough. But that's not great. We do it in our faith lives, too. There's a temptation to do it in our faith lives <coughs> where we, we, we have peace and security in, in, in our location faith-wise. We've got a, a church that we're happy with. We've, we've got enough, enough Bible knowledge that, you know, it, it, it's fine. You know, I don't necessarily have to dig into it because I've heard that story before, and I'm going to hear it again. And, and what's it really going to do? I mean, how's it going to be different? And, and so we, we kind of get content with where things are at in our faith life. And, and the world has got a lot of turmoil. And so, so how about just a, a nice, safe place to call home, my church home, where it's not complicated, and, and, and I get the music I want, and we get to do the ministries I think are important, and, and we don't have to go too far out there into, into, into weirdness or anything like that. And then, and then we decide that that's, everything's just good enough, and we stop, we stop connecting. We stop trying to pursue and, and, and seek where God is grabbing us and saying, I got something better in mind for you. There's this amazing thing over here, and I know it's going to stretch you. I know, I know it's going to ask something of you, but I promise you, where it's going is so great. 
I've got a good, well-rounded Christianity right now. Are we settling for good? Are we settling for good instead of pursuing great? Because the tools of this life are good. They're good, but they're not great. They're meant to, they're meant to bless into great. They're meant to, to achieve that eternal reality. The early Christians had this kind of figured out. They, they knew that who they were and what they were about needed to be about taking things that were good, that God had blessed them with, so that they could be a blessing toward great. Uh, in, the, in the mid-300s, there was a Roman emperor called Julian, and he wrote this quote thing. And I have the quote, but I'm not going to read it to you because it's like all like Roman emperor sounding, and it's like dry. So I'll summarize it for you. So he's complaining about these new Christians. He calls them the Galileans. And he hates the impact they're having on the people of his kingdom, of, of the empire, because he's, they're winning them over to their non-religion. He called them atheists. He called early Christians atheists because they didn't worship the gods he thought they should worship. And he's warning his, his, his leaders in the, in the empire, we gotta watch out for these folks. Because they are, they are just capturing people's hearts and minds by being nice to them, by loving them, by feeding people who don't have food and, and, and making sure that folks who are lonely don't have to be lonely. They're taking this time that they have and, and, and the resources they have and, and they're giving them away. And now people are like becoming atheists with them. He's warning his leaders, this is, this, we gotta knock, we gotta stop this somehow. Maybe we have to figure out how to be, like, nice to people. Um, maybe, or maybe we should do something more drastic, but, but it's dangerous. There's just so much power in taking the things that they've been given and using them to bless people. There's, there's this power in that. We should be afraid of that. He even likened it to uh, a practice back then when people would take cake and toss it out to street kids so that the street kids would follow them into slave ships. He's like, it's just like that. They're tossing cake out there. And people are just following them in droves. And he was sure it was slavery. And it's interesting because what he's concerned about, Jesus like explicitly says in our passage. Remember verse 9? I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. You will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. You, the word you there is the corporate you. Take what you got. Win people so that you all get to end up here. Because, folks, we have cake. Like, I don't like, you, metaphorically speaking, right? You, it's okay if you have cake. Well, if you've got, like, cake in your purse right now. Sharing is good. We have cake. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We have cake. It's not cake. It's cake. What am I sharing? We should share that. 
We have to give it to people so they get to see how sweet it is to know that their Father in Heaven loves them. Now, I don't want you to mishear me. I'm not, I'm not advocating that we mislead people or sell them a version of Christianity that re- that, that, that's not real. There's little worse than, than pitching a faith that's all unicorns and roses. And, you know, come to Jesus because He'll take care of all your cares away. We know better than that, right? Because some, some folks do it, and then, then the people come to the church, and they're like, okay, unicorns and roses, I'm not, and, 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 and things are still hard sometimes. They get disillusioned. We're, Jesus never deceived, so neither should we. He was always clear that there was a cost to being a disciple, and that the life uh, of seeking God's will can be difficult. But he was also clear of the benefits and the promises and the abundance of peace and joy and purpose and love that come with it. So that when people fall headlong into his arms, they realize that the ship they're on isn't a slave ship. It is a ship that sails into freedom. This beautiful moment that Jesus offers a complicated parable is an invitation, a challenge to be shrewd, to be wise in the use of what we've been entrusted with so that it can serve the things that matter forever. And we need to, we need to know this because it's important. We only have this, this brief moment of time, like in the, in the spectrum of eternity, we get this tiny little moment, right? Doesn't uh, Psalm 90 says we get like 70 or 80 years uh, if we're strong enough. And that's not prescriptive. It's not like, well, after 80 years, that's it. We're just going to shut off the lights. It's a warning. Time is this short. You got to use it. You got you to take advantage of it. You got you to seize the moment when it comes. James 4 uh, says to us that, uh, that, that, that we're just a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We're, we're like managers who are about to lose access to an abundant set of resources to be able to bless a whole bunch of folks. Our time is fleeting. Will we use the worldly things with which we've been entrusted to invest in our own comfort, our own distraction, our own frivolity, or will we use them to bless people around us in a manner that will last for eternity? That seems to me is the road less traveled. And this is the one that makes all the difference. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your abundance knows no bounds. Your goodness cannot be stopped. And we are grateful for you. We are grateful for the ways that you challenge us with truth, with, with beauty. Uh, even when it comes out kind of complicated, uh, it gives us a chance to work through it and uh, to dig into who you are and what you say is true and to understand how it applies. Lord, thank you for all of the things in our lives that are good. Thank you. Show us how they can be used for great. And don't let us be content with less. For your glory, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. May the God of all good things pour out his goodness upon you. 
and bless you so that you can join with him in sharing those blessings with others to pursue the great, the things that glorify God and bring him glory and bring the name of Jesus glory. And all of God's people said, amen.